I'm so excited to welcome you to our second podcast. I'm going to rush right through the introduction and tell you that we are talking with Judy and Gary. They are in Dead Horse, Alaska with record low temperatures. You can't even go outside for more than five minutes without frostbite. And the wind chill is around 67 degrees below zero. So here we go. Yes, so, you can always uh, edit. So Yeah. yeah. So I, I did want to ask um, Gary a couple of questions. Is he going to be in um, uh, available? Out organizing some stuff in the hangar right now. Let me see if... Uh... Hold on. What is happening? Hi, Gary. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. We're just getting things organized still. Oh, good. Well, I just wanted to ask you a few questions before we get into this uh, particular podcast. I wanted to know how many years exactly you've been flying. Uh, Say it again. I'm sorry. I just walked in the office here. Oh, okay. Yeah, Judy said there were fans blowing. Um, Yeah. I I wanted to know how many years you have been flying in Alaska. Oh my gosh. So I've been shooting like really low when I tell people 35. I'm 66. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's I started when I was 10. What was that? You started when you were I 10? I started when I was 10. Okay. So what kind of, um, so what kind of aircraft, um, have you flown? Different airplanes? Oh, oh, all the little single engine Cessnas, all the single engine Pipers. Okay. Um, Some of the people that are listening may not know exactly what those are, but that's pretty typical, the four-seater, two-seaters in Alaska, right? Yeah, two-seaters, four-seaters, six-seaters. Mm-hmm. You know, like Cessna 206s and 207s. Right. And, and then mm-hmm. multi-engine airplanes like King Airs, mm-hmm. King Air 200, King Air 350, uh, Twin Otters. Mm-hmm. Which is what you have now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Single Turbine Otters. Mm-hmm. So, turbine Beavers. Oh my goodness. So the list just goes on. Single Piston Beavers. Single Engine Otters. Piston so y- Otters. So you probably don't see a lot of airplanes that you haven't flown up here. No, not really. And can I ask you another question before we move forward? Um, sure. When did you decide, what made you decide to fly? Oh, that's easy. Oh, easy peasy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I started out as a mule skinner. and. Um, so what was that again? I was a mule skinner. Mule skinner and horse wrangler. Okay, and where were you, the the mule skinner and the horse wrangler? Where were you? I'm up in the interior of Alaska mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So you were born here in Alaska? Yeah, third okay. generation. Oh, wow. And then, and then, so we used to have the guy fly all our people and our groceries into the hunting camp. And so he was always clean shaven and had newspaper and candy bars. Oh, cool. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I looked at my mule skinning job, and I looked at his job, and I changed professions. Okay, that that was easy because of the candy bars, right? Yeah, well, and then being clean. Yes. And everybody was always so happy to see. Yeah, because you could you could probably, I can just imagine it, because I've been out 
on remote lakes where you just start to hear the sound of an engine and you start to get excited and you look for the airplane and see if it's starting to descend. Yeah, coming to get you after you're cold and hungry, no candy bars. Mm -hmm. Pretty exciting. Sounds like you and Judy have dinner plans tonight. Yeah, we got invited over to Brooks Camp. Oh, how cool is that? So what's the temperature? I think it's 40 below. So I have another question for you. When it's 40 below, do you leave your truck outside or do you pull it into the hangar? Oh, we always pull everything into the hangar. But if we leave it outside, we leave it running. Or at the very least, we plug it in. Right. So what? for the most part, the hangars are um, aluminum metal construction buildings, most of the buildings. Yeah, ours is called a tension. It's a fabric building. It's called a tension fabric building where Mm -hmm. it's got a metal frame. Mm-hmm. And then it's got, uh, it's like a rubberized canvas mm-hmm. um, that's part of the structure in it, and it's covered in that. So what's... So it's like string tight, and, it, and mm-hmm. then there's insulation, and then it has a liner mm-hmm. inside of that. So it's nice and warm. It's 70 degrees in the hangar right now. Oh, very nice. So is yeah. that, what's the name of the company that makes those buildings? Just out of curiosity. Well, I think they went out of business, but they're called Coverall. Oh. I think they went out of business. There's another company now that took them over and is making the same thing. But mm-hmm. basically, they're the same thing. That's they're it. all over up here on the North Slope. They're mm-hmm. kind of a cheaper, quicker alternative to a big metal building. Mm-hmm. And they can be torn down and transported. Yeah, you can take it down. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can take it down and mm-hmm. dismantle it and move it and set mm-hmm. it back up. Yep. That's practical. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, if you have a few more minutes, if not, you know, is Judy there? Yeah. Yeah. She's here. Okay. Yeah. We're just goofing around, just cleaning everything up and mm-hmm. making sure everything's going to run right. And working on the truck and working on the loader and working on the forklift and working on the building and mm-hmm. looking for our stuff. Mm-hmm. We forgot a bunch of stuff in Homer. Oh, so no. We look around for that. Oh, yeah. I remember. Conex and Homer. So it happens, you got too much stuff, you always misplace it. Right, and it's basically how many miles away? A thousand miles. Oh, good grief. Well, so the first day that you were up there, you landed, and then the following morning, though, you had to take off early. Yeah, we flew all over the whole North Slope, basically from the from Prudhoe Bay all the way to the West Coast, the Western Arctic Coast, mm-hmm. about 300 miles out to the West. I flew by Barrow. Mm-hmm. Flew, flew into there, grabbed a couple folks, went out to Wainwright, mm-hmm. went out to Akiasak, Newixik, mm-hmm. Dead Horse, Prudhoe Bay. But we'll go, we'll, we'll be everywhere. We'll be a couple hundred miles offshore here in another couple weeks. People in different areas, right? Are these all scheduled scheduled uh, trips? No, they're, they're contracts, so we're supporting, we're supporting oil field workers and pretty much everything hauling groceries and parts and people and mm-hmm. then we got the submarines that are coming up in another couple of weeks mm-hmm. so we'll support those guys the navy mm-hmm. and you do some work for the blm as well right oh yeah we fly blm around mm-hmm. <laughs> boy that's really interesting well what i'm going to do is keeping track of you guys up there and posting pictures on the website 
oil rig off in the distance. That's what most people envision when they when they think of the North Slope. But there's there's it's pretty diverse, really. There's other areas and villages not far from Prudhoe Bay. Yeah, there's folks live up here. Mm-hmm. There's Kaskovic and New Exit, Barrow, Point Lay, Port Wainwright, Point Hope. There's all there's all folks living everywhere. Mm-hmm. Aren't there? Pardon me. Went at 40, 50 below. I think it was 63 below this morning in Anacubic Pass. Oh, my gosh. See, that's been on national news. Oh, is that right? Did they have Anacubic Pass? As the coldest place in the nation. Oh, yeah. You know, just exactly what you're talking about. I just can't imagine it. I know that with a wind chill factor of, um, oh, I would uh, I would think even lower, of 67, you can, you can get frostbitten within five minutes, right? Not if you're sitting inside. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, but if you do go outside and you have skin exposed, right? You yeah, can... I don't know if it would get you that quick, you know, with unless the wind's blowing. So if the wind's blowing, then it gets really nasty. not blowing. It could be 60 below, and you'd be all right. You, you wouldn't freeze. But as soon as you get five-mile-an-hour wind, you know, then it sucks the breath right out of you. Yes. Well, even here, it's been pretty cold, and, you know, I had days where I couldn't stand going outside, so I can't imagine what that's like. Don't go out. Right. Stay in so you don't get frostbitten. Well, so so another question I have, isn't there a big um, area off the western shore um, um, that has a number of migratory birds in the western area of um, Prudhoe Bay, or is that further down the coast? Well, it all depends what time of year, you know. But they mm-hmm. they figured out where all the eider ducks go, and eider ducks in the in the, the winter, eiders. They go, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go out on the pack ice, and they live in in the open leads, and they don't they don't go south. They just stay up here all winter long. I haven't ever seen them straight north of dead horse but mm-hmm. or the ice gets more fractured out to the west the ice is it's a lot more fractured once you get out past barrel west. i think there's birds all over the north slope you know because uh-huh. they come up here and feed on mm-hmm. they come here in this in the spring to feed on on little grass shoots and and bugs protein Thanks. so they Double up little mosquito larvae mm-hmm. and everything, but mm-hmm. but yeah, there's I, I don't know. There's the Shuckpuck Lake, which is you know 150 miles to the west of Dead Horse here, and and that's that's a pretty popular place. That's one of the huge migratory areas for a number of birds that fly. You know, there's some species that don't care for people. Oh, I don't know about that. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say that most of the birds that come up here, purely biological reasons, you know, that they migrate up here because mm-hmm. it's such a short growing season. You know, they fly in and, right. and lay eggs, mm-hmm. you know, even while the ground's basically still frozen. And, you know, it's a big panic to get their, their little chicks up and running for the, for the flight home or the flight back down south. It's, it's really... I think it's it's food based mm-hmm. more than you know because they've been doing it for thousands of years. So right, but I've heard so, that... yeah, I don't think that I don't I know what you're getting at there that development and people and so on 
you know, there's always well, a fear that they're going to displace wildlife and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, really, industry does a pretty amazing job up here, a lot more than what you'd think, you know, ecologically sensitive. Any of the core beds, I think that they have a tendency to, to enjoy the benefits that they reap from human behavior, you know, from garbage and that, well, they can open garbage cans. So that's kind yeah. of what I was referring to. So they wouldn't. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think the big, the big populations are like black brands, mm-hmm. and they come up here. Mm-hmm. But it seems like every species of waterfowl that you run into, you know, has its own niche. Mm-hmm. So it's like black brands. Mm-hmm. You know, they stage in Cold Bay, like an Eisenbeck National Wildlife Refuge down on the Alaska Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And and that's because uh, eelgrass, mm-hmm. which is you know really nutritious, specific grass that they eat, mm-hmm. you know, and then they stage there. There's, you know, I think ninety percent of them in the world go there, and mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, and the weather's right, and winds mm-hmm. aloft are just right. They they bug out there and do nonstop flight down Mexico or mm-hmm. even down to South America, but. Mm-hmm. But it's just, that's a feeding area. It's just a biological hotspot for them. And they're, mm-hmm. they know it and they go exactly there. But mm-hmm. there's folks there too, you know, that don't seem to bother them. Mm-hmm. So, do that. so do you, um, have you ever been the west, western near Teshekpuk Lake when, during the big migrations? No, mm-hmm. not during that. Well, during the springtime when we are here, you know, it's every black piece of dirt that doesn't have snow on it. It's just crawling with ducks and geese of every every mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. They they show up here when it's still 25 below zero. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, hmm. they show up as just as soon as mm-hmm. they possibly can, and they start eating vegetation, you know, that's, that's, that's just starting to thaw. Hmm. But... Um, but then, yeah, we've seen, you know, three or four thousand geese standing on frozen lakes, you know, at 20 below zero in mm-hmm. the springtime. So they're here as soon as they can get here. Mm-hmm. As soon as there's any available food at all, you know, they're here. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a huge expanse, you know, it's like 500 miles from side to side right. and 100 miles mm-hmm. deep. So I know there's, there's a lot. There's people that come to Alaska just to see the migration, you know, to see the birds coming up here, the 400 or so species of birds that fly to Alaska. Yeah, one of the most amazing places is all the seabirds out in western Alaska. Mm-hmm. And and they congregate basically in the springtime during mm-hmm. the herring and capeling migrations. And, uh, you know, I mean, everything's all holding hands, but mm-hmm. there's literally millions millions of seabirds you know at the same time that the whales mm-hmm. sea lions and herring are spawning and capeling are spawning and mm-hmm. all different kinds of little needle fish are coming in shallow and, mm-hmm. you know and it, that's that's probably one of the most amazing biomasses that I've uh, that I've ever seen in Alaska everything from Mm-hmm. You know, from 70-foot-long whales down to millions of little seabirds that just weigh a couple of ounces each. Millions right. of them. And it just, it, I feel the same way when I see some of the birds when they come to Alaska. 
They're so small. And you think, my gosh, how in the world did they make it? And why? All the way here. Probably because there's so many bugs. Uh So many bugs and so so much good vegetation for them to feed on. And fish, little seabirds eating fish. Hopefully sometime during, you know, one of the episodes that we air, maybe we can go out and take a look at some of the migratory birds. Of course, it gets closer to springtime. Yeah. You go out there and take a look. I always tell people, if you ever get a chance, you know, you should go out to western Alaska, go out to Mm -hmm. the very northern part of Bristol Bay and and watch the big herring migration and all the animals go completely crazy eating herring eggs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's thousands and thousands of tons of herring basically Mm -hmm. come into the shore and spawn Mm -hmm. in real shallow water on kelp. Mm -hmm. Every animal in Alaska seems like, you know, it's feeding on them. And a lot of these things, people never get to see something like that. Such an amazing uh, Mm -hmm. uh, happening. But I I haven't ever seen anybody really get into it with sea lions and Mm -hmm. bears and eagles and all the millions of seabirds and everything that's going on at, at the same time big huge fish migrations and seen it and that's during the springtime right? yeah that's mm-hmm. that's like so exciting may you know it's like first part of may mm-hmm. out in western alaska now you said you were going out to dinner and then tomorrow um first of all is the sun let's see it's four forty-five here is the sun still in the sky or is it down <laughs> Long gone. Dark out. Okay. When did the so sun down. go down? Yeah, the sun set at three fifteen. Oh, so okay. The first time it comes up, it's up for about thirty-five minutes or forty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Then the next day, it's up for two hours. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we're so far north, you know, that it comes mm-hmm. up. It's just right on the horizon. Then the next day, you can actually see it for, for a couple of hours. And now we're seeing that for five hours it's up. Oh, and here, nice. in another, here in another month, it'll be up for, gosh, I don't know, most of the day. Mm-hmm. Then by, by the 1st of June, it's up all the time. That's exciting. And Judy sent, Judy sent some pictures, so they'll go up on the website as well of the sunrise and the sun setting. Anyway, so I'll let you guys go. What? Well, wait a minute, though. What do you have planned for tomorrow? We're going to do more work. Oh, more work. Oh, yeah, shovel snow. Is there a lot of snow? No, not really. There's like a foot of snow on the ground. There's not much snow up here this mm-hmm. year. So you're just kind of But mo- it blows around, you know. Yeah, like- it's those four-foot-deep drifts everywhere. Yeah, like today, Gary had to work his way into the, was that yesterday, the water room. That had frozen shut, and... When I was digging paths around the day before while he was flying, I I gave up trying to get into that one. That was a little bit more of a job. Uh-huh. So anyway, yeah, that's the kind of work that continues constantly around here. And uh, we're going to go check that right now, make sure everything's working properly in there. And we'll give you an update on the next flight. I think we have a couple days. We have a... Um, a crew, meteorological crew, that goes out to Inagok. Look that one up. And, oh, I will. Uh, they, okay. Uh, there's a weather station out there mm-hmm. that's there in the process of demobing. Gary flew them out last year, and the strip was really rough and bumpy. He did a couple passes and then just decided to land on the tundra right next to the strip because that was quite smooth compared to the conditions right on the strip. So that's the kind of oh. thing you're always having to evaluate and consider as you fly around out here 
but we got to run right now. Um, Gary already headed out to check the water room before we head off for dinner and join our companions for that. So we'll talk to you later. Okay, thank you. Have a nice evening. Have a good dinner. Okay, okay take care. Bye-bye.